0: Hello and welcome to Collective Conversations. I am your host, Mike Brewer, and today we have someone on the show that I have long admired, Paul Bergeron. Paul is a communications executive, industry influencer, content strategy consultant and journalist with a proven record for leading teams in digital content creation. Thought leadership strategy, public relations, and media relations on behalf of Fortune 500 corporations, technology and software companies, associations, and nonprofits. Specialties include SEO, media relations, strategic writing, public affairs, digital media, campaigns, and graphic design. He has a life experience of Gen Xer, uh, the digital experience of a millennial, and the passion uh, for innovation and difference making of Gen Z. He currently writes for Globe Street. Paul, welcome
1: to the show. Hello, everyone. So glad to be here.
0: Paul, did I uh, you have that? Was an awesome opening. And is there anything you would add or take away from that?
1: Um, mostly that I've been involved in apartments for for the bulk of all this. Um, you know the apartment industry has been very good to me, and I absolutely love it and love the people. Um, I've been going to a lot of conferences and talking to people, and you learn something every day, right? And there's trends, and you try to stay out in front of things
0: so so two things there I, I i'm interested everyone has a story about how they got into the multifamily space or associated with a, the uh, multifamily space and then certainly you're, i'm going to call it creativity in the sense that you are curious and i think cu- creativity comes out of curiosity so we'll unpack that in a second but how did you get attracted to the multifamily space in the first place
1: uh good question so i was working at an organization called the employee relocation council, which dealt with employees who were changing companies. And there was a guy who was the webmaster there. And he and I were big university of Maryland basketball fans. Right. So all we did was talk about sports. And one day he got this offer to be the webmaster at the national apartment association. So he goes over there and I was, I was kind of crushed because he and I were tight. And he said, hey, Paul, guess what? I just found out that they're looking for someone to run the magazine here at NAA. Why don't you apply? So I applied. I had had been in association publishing for about two years, and I liked it. I I used to be a sports writer, by the way. I spent my first uh, 11 years of my career as a sports writer. And I moved into association publishing and took over units. And it was really, pardon my whatever, but it was really a terrible magazine. It, It had no news value to it. I'm a journalism guy. I'm a news guy. And I quickly kind of turned it into a business publication rather than an association publication. And people loved it. And I loved writing the stories. And I leaned on other members in the industry. And with every story, I learned something new. And with every person I talked to, I learned something new. And there's just been an endless stream of topics to write about. And that's gone on for, what, 20 years? And you and I are going to talk about stories today that nobody's written yet. Uh, hopefully, I'll be the first one to write them.
0: <laughs> I believe that to be true. <laughs> I so I have to believe. So, being a journalist is there uh, sort of this innate curiosity that comes along with being a journalist, or is that passion? Does that come from somewhere else? Um, I know you love to ask questions. You and I talked a little bit over the phone prior to recording this, so just interested in
1: unpacking that just a little bit. Well, so when I got out of college, I went to James Madison University. I got a job at a daily newspaper. I was a sports writer. Well, my editor, who I still stay in touch with all the time, he was one of the best editors I ever had. And he kind of taught me what journalism really was in the sense that he would look at other publications and other reporters and other newscasters And he would critique them and say, why did they do that? Why did they ask that question? This guy's really good. This guy's really bad. And it gave me a different perspective on how to be a good journalist. It's not so much what I'm doing, but when you look at other articles that are written, when you see other broadcasts that are done, you ask yourself, huh, how did they put that together? Why did they choose those people to talk to? What research did they get or not get? And that way I'm kind of studying my own craft as I do it myself. And I hold myself to that standard because, believe it or not, I don't want my editor ever to look back and say, oh, that guy, Paul Bergeron, he doesn't know what he's doing.
0: That that makes sense. It, it seems to me I something you said there that I really love and I think we'll we'll talk about again in just a little bit um, is being a, a practitioner. You're not only working in the business doing your crap, but you're working on your business while you're working in the business and becoming better uh, at what your your, uh, ultimate uh, task is, right, in terms of being a journalist.
1: I mean, if anybody wants a cheat sheet and they want to know how to do this well, just read the Wall Street Journal every day because every story is incredible. If you just look at the way they approached it, what they chose to write about, whether it's real estate or not, it's fantastic.
0: That is my favorite, dare I say, newspaper, because I still read it in the newspaper form. Ditto. <laughs> Something about touching that paper. But so, Paul, you recently attended uh, the Social Media Summit, I believe is in Napa. Uh, such a terrible place to have a summit. I just can't, you know, I could think of a thousand other
1: places that are much better than that. Well, <laughs> it just mind, But yeah, yeah. Um no it was fantastic i hadn't been to napa in like 30 years i flew into (laughs) oakland and then got on an uber which was like a hour-long 45-minute trip out to napa i didn't know what to expect it had been so long but right there in the middle of all the uh, farmland is that the right word the vineyards there was this um resort that had been built um it wasn't anything too fabulously romantic or anything but it was a nice place But the best part about it was it was a small conference. There were probably 400 people there in our industry, many of which I knew. And it's a tight group. I mean, you know what it's like to go around to these industry conferences. Everybody knows each other, bounce ideas off each other, everybody's friends. You you learn a lot. You talk a lot. You have a lot of fun. So it was basically three days of that, which is what everyone told me it would be. So now I've been. I had never been before to that conference or NAPA, and uh, I'd like to go back.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, I've never actually been to that one, but the people that I talk to that have been have just glowing remarks mm-hmm. about the conference and the setting, uh, frankly. so Excellent
1: lineup. Um, here's a funny story, all right? So I don't know if anybody out there drinks craft beer. I'm a big craft beer drinker. Yep. So one of the highest rated craft beers is this thing called Pliny the Elder, and it's brewed by Russian River, which happens to be located in Northern California. So I'm talking to my friends who drink it, and they're like, oh, my God, you have to find it. You have to see if you can get that. And I get to the place, and the first thing I do is I start calling around. Hey, do you have it? Hey, do you have it? And, like, I found a place that was, like, 12 miles away. Well, that was, like, a $50 Uber ride front and back. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So the first night, if anyone knows Kate Good, who is one of the apartment all-stars, she comes up to me. She says, Paul, I want you to have dinner with us tonight. Perfect. So we get in an Uber, we drive to this restaurant. I I slowly open up the menu and I go down the beer list and there is Pliny the Elder right there. I was like goosebumps, right? So I had a couple there and they were really good. Really okay, good. so you highly recommend? I highly recommend Pliny the Elder. I think it's got like a 4.8 rating on uh, untapped or something. Um, really good, really hard to find though.
0: Oh, I love it. I'm going to have to try it.
1: I'm gonna have to hit up my friends in the Napa
0: Valley. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Grab it. Excellent. Well, let's let's dive into some of the content. I know there there were a lot of very compelling conversations um, presentations that happened over the the course of those three days. And, and in no particular order, maybe what what comes to mind most readily for you is uh, something that's happening in the multifamily space that is germane to the things that we're doing, whether it be I have to assume there's not only marketing themes here, but maybe operational themes that were present uh, in the conference as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You want me to go over a couple of the, of the headliners? Yeah. Um, So you might know Erica Byram at apartments.com. She's our social media person. I had never really seen her speak. I've done webinars with her before and they're good, but this was taking it to another level because these were people at this conference who were, high level social media marketers. And she was pulling out all these tricks and tools and all these platforms that I knew very little about. And it was fascinating. And the thing that really is the leading channel right now is short-term video with TikTok. Now, all those other uh, social media channels have short-term media on them. They call it something different. Reels is one of them. And if you really, you look at any channel and she was all about that and all about the fact that it's so authentic so authenticity is totally winning the day in marketing right now and she talked about apartment communities that were leaning on their staff members most of them younger to create their own videos and post them and she's like just let them do what they want to do you will not be disappointed and she showed some samples and it was fantastic it was fantastic um that was one of the main things she talked about the next person up was a woman named Delaney Duke who I did not know her and I can't think of the name of Landmark. She works for Landmark. After her presentation, people, uh, Lisa Trozine and Kate, Lisa Trozine, another apartment all star, they were coming up to me and they said, That's our next superstar. Because she's, she was a young lady. I guess she was probably maybe late 20s. Mm-hmm. She was so fun and engaging and authentic. And she was giving all these great examples of user-generated content from what she was doing and her team was doing. So people were raving about that. Um, Then it got kind of interesting, and you and I talked about a couple of trends. One of them was being able to link from your social media posts directly to the the viewer. Uh, Is that the right word? The viewer, whoever's viewing your content prospect. To rent an apartment from that link, they were talking about how Instagram is perfect for floor plans. You post floor plans that are cool or different or you have special on them um, and you let people lease directly from that. And that was kind of a big deal. I don't know that people have and people have been playing the online leasing turnkey approach for I mean, you you know, like the last 10 years, people have been talking about how this is the thing and, and, and sure. it, it is. But this was taking that to another level, I think. And I think that because these social media channels are enabling people to do that with proper linkage or whatever you want to call it. Um, again, a little bit's over my head. Um, it was it was interesting. I think people are going to jump on that. Because that's your demographic, right? Yeah, you know it's.
0: I I have a 16 year old daughter, um, who recently attended her prom as a junior in high school, and in in shopping for prom dresses, she actually went to and I'll probably misspeak as it relates to which uh, platform it was, but I'm I'm going to say it was TikTok. Maybe it was Instagram, but <clears throat> she would literally view these various dresses that she was interested in, and then would click and engage in commerce. Right. And right. It's
1: It's commerce. They're calling it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. And so it's seems like a natural segue that you would engage in an apartment, whether it be a floor plan and, or a personality in your community, meaning a team member. And, and you can actually lease an apartment that way. It's, it's commerce, right? At the end of the day, leasing an apartment is commerce.
1: (laughs) It's it's big bucks.
0: (laughs) That that's right. So it's, it's interesting to me that it's it's uh, it's evolved over a bit of time. I I read a remark I think in your notes uh, about this where, um, I think it was Erica that described this, this this way. Your customer can get really intimate with you because they're right here, right? Yeah,
1: there was somebody who who delivered that line. You're right, and and again, that was one of those the crowd kind of like fell back when they thought about it. Um because video is so important. I mean you and I are kind of looking at computer screens here, but I think looking at your smartphone, because we're on we're on laptops, but looking at your smartphone, it's right there. It's you can have a conversation with someone like they're almost in your room in the same room with you, which I guess kind of brings us to metaverse, right?
0: Well <laughs> oh, it kind of does. <laughs> I'm excited about this. <laughs> oh
1: well, you know the metaverse, has, it's also called Web 3.0 um, because that sort of is the universal word that doesn't make it look like you're whoring out for Facebook. But anyway, um, right. yeah. So the metaverse started kicking up in the Wall Street Journal about a year ago, a lot of articles. And I was reading them and I'm like, yeah, this is a joke. What, what is this? Is this really something that we care about? But then I kept thinking, if the Wall Street Journal is writing about it now, a year from now, it's going to be something. So last fall I was at, um, what was I at? I was at the op, the MFE conference in Las Vegas. And there were a lot of, um, you know, high rollers there, some executive people. And I walked up to a couple of them and a couple of the vendors. And I said, what are you all doing about the metaverse? And they said, what's that? <laughs> so I tried <laughs> to explain it to them, but I, I wasn't very good at it. And basically they're like, oh, and then a couple of months later, I ran into them somewhere else. And they said, oh, yeah, I saw Metaverse in the headlines. So then I started digging around even more about it. And it's all about virtual reality and augmented reality. I wrote a big story about that. Um, By the way, I also write for Sherm, which is an HR publication. If anybody out there is in like HR world, uh, you can find me there. But they asked me to do a story about AR and VR in recruiting new hires. and And we all know how the recruiting and hiring situation is really crazy right now in every industry, especially ours. And there were these techniques that people were using. You've probably seen the glasses, right? People put on the, the 3d, you know, I can't think what those are goggles or whatever they're called. Um, I've experienced that once. I mean, it, it's not something I'm terribly interested in, but a lot of people are. So people were using those at job fairs. And if you're a candidate you could put those on and you could experience what it's like to work at that property or at that company or in their office or whatever, things like that. So, you know, the metaverse was kind of picking things up and, and getting going. And then then all of a sudden we got into this whole thing with, uh, uh, what are they called? The three letters, um, e- EFTs or, or EFTs, yeah. NFTs, non-fungible tokens. That's right. And right. I didn't know much about that. And, and I didn't believe that either. Um, people <laughs> spending all that money for those things. Right. And then somebody told me, I don't know about you, but I was a big baseball card collector. Right. So I still have all my baseball cards and people are taking images of baseball cards and selling the image. I'm like, wait a minute, I have it in cardboard. <laughs>
0: yes. So that's
1: not really popular. And then in the fall, the AIM conference, which is coming up, by the way, in a couple of weeks in hundreds range, right. they had a session on NFTs and on the metaverse. And again, yeah. the speaker was kind of dangling the idea of all this out to the crowd and the crowd was a little mesmerized and a little confused and very curious about the whole thing. And it just kind of brushed away. Well, now we've come all the way to now. We've come to the spring and uh, Jeremiah, you know, him. explain, explain who he is.
0: Yeah, he's he's I would call him a consultant uh, for broad industries uh, and looking at leading edge or around the corner technology. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he's like a columnist for USA Today or something. He was saying he's got a big following and he's based in Northern California. So he was one of our speakers. And he got up there and he did his whole thing about, you know, TikTok and social audio and all this kind of stuff. And then I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I raised my hand. I said, when we come to this conference in a year from now, are we going to be talking about the metaverse and what are we going to be saying? And he looked at me and he kind of took a pause and he says, he goes, I don't know. It's already here. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, all of your apartment communities are already in the metaverse and they're being bought and sold right now. And everybody in the room kind of had that, that, that kind of that hush, you know, they were like, Whoa. And people said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, there's these, maybe you know more about it. There's these knockoff things called earth two. It's kind of a gaming thing. And what it is, if you, if you upload it or download it, I think it's an app. It's a replication of the earth and it's modeled after Google earth, which is that Google thing that people go to if they want to see like the storefront or see what their house looks like on, on Google or something. That's right. And he said, you can go in there and all the apartment properties there. And there's, there's uh, metaverse channels where you can buy and sell property, real estate, not just apartments, but anything. And I, I think, I think you might, you said you, you played around in that a little bit.
0: Yeah. And in Earth 2.0, I mean, there are, listen, there's probably, who knows, I'm, I'm speculating, hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of metaverses that are either built or being built. Um, and that's part of the part of the problem with metaverses is that no one knows today who will win out in the metaverse world, right? And so right. Earth Earth 2.0 or earth 2.io is one iteration or it's one platform. Let's call it a game. Right. And you, you can go in, I actually went into that one and purchased one of our apartment buildings in downtown Atlanta. You get these little tabs, you purchase the little tabs and you get a um, good deal. Yeah, I will, you know, for 200, <laughs> considering what we paid for that particular building, I think 200 bucks, I think is what I paid for the, for the little tiles uh, versus the, number we paid is, yeah, I'd consider it a really good deal. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's certainly a tremendous amount of downside risk, meaning if that particular platform metaverse doesn't uh doesn't really catch uh the masses, then it's it's two hundred dollars wasted. But I guess in my in my opinion, in order to become really versed in the in the metaverse or Web 3.0, you have to be a practitioner of it, right? It's not unlike playing with Twitter or or a Snapchat or uh TikTok, you have to get in there and play around with it to understand how it works and how you make application of it. But uh, I don't know. I think there, there are some super interesting things that uh, I think will evolve out of the metaverse in the way of, of commerce. Um, you know, that's, that's the way our future generations are growing up. They're playing in those, right. those places
1: and they'll, it seems natural that they'll start doing commerce in those places. <laughs> well, and the other example he gave was that they're having little kids' birthday parties. You know, you can have, you know, and I'm sure the kids love it because it's again, the gaming thing. Um, and Jeremiah said that he bought something. I can't remember what it was, but he said he bought it for 2000 and sold it for 30,000. So he's like, yeah, I don't mind this. It was, it was an NFT of something. And I just, for the life of me, can't remember what it was. Um, so yeah, it's a thing. And, um, I was telling you, Eric Brown at Urbane up in Detroit, he's, he's kind of dipping his toes in there. He's always on the edge of things. So I'm going to work with him in a couple weeks on the story and, uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, definitely, but that was, that was cool. And that's getting way out there. The other one that caught my eye was social audio, which at first, when I saw it on the, on the agenda, I'm like, what is this? And it makes perfect sense. Right. So if you're a podcaster like you are, if you're somebody who runs a radio station, if you have Spotify and you listen to podcasts there or music, um, Clubhouse, are you familiar with Clubhouse? I am. Okay. So you have Clubhouse where people are getting on and talking to each other. And I'm like, really, you're going to spend your whole day talking to strangers about whatever, but you can jump on and off apparently and people like to do it. Um, it's it's fine. You could have groups of five or six people or 30 people. But the thing that they said about it that really stood out to me was if you think about the last two years and people getting a little Zoom fatigue, right? So people who work like you and you have to get on department meetings with your staff who live in other parts of the country and you're doing these Zoom calls. That's right. It's kind of fun. It's kind of a pain. You might have a bunch of them in a row. You know, you might get dressed up for them. You might not. People are like pajamas, sweatsuits, all that kind of stuff. But it, it kind of wears you out, right? Because you have to be on. You have to be on in front of a camera. And that, that can get old. But if you have social audio, it's cheaper and easier to produce. And you don't really have to be on. You're just talking or listening, and he was talking about people walking down the street, you know, going for their daily walks, just listening to groups of people and maybe you get something out of it, maybe you contribute, maybe you don't. So social audio could be a growing segment of, of social media for people who are kind of tired of the visual. You,
0: you know, I would even say uh, 2 days ago I sat on a panel in downtown Atlanta for some uh, I can't I can't remember. Marcus and Millichap put on an event and I was invited to a uh, COO type panel. And there were 14 of us that sat in a room. And I, I do this exercise every time I go into a big meeting like that, I start to calculate, you know, roughly on average, this person probably makes X amount of dollars per hour. And then I multiply times the number of people sitting at the table. And I think, wow, this is a really expensive meeting, right? And <laughs> and and so I was doing that that day. And I I thought, and when you said clubhouse, I instantly thought just now, wow, that particular meeting which was very fruitful. I don't know that it was worth the dollar amount I added up in my head, but if it was done over Clubhouse in in uh, where you're still in your same setting, and I believe in my heart of hearts, you can multitask. That meeting is what, whatever, a fourth of the cost, right? And right. you still get the benefit and it's recorded and you can go back and, and, and if you wanted to, this particular meeting, there were there were no recording devices in the room. You weren't allowed to bring any recorded devices in the room, but in a Maybe in a clubhouse or a platform like that, you could actually record the meeting and you could put it behind a kind of a protection where only those people could listen to it.
1: Right mm-hmm. in the future. So, well, the thing is, is that these other social media channels have clubhouse type things. I didn't even know this. Like Amazon has one, um, Twitter is developing one, Google has right. one. So it's not like it's fading away. And then, of course, somebody in the room asks, "Well, how, do, what, how does this apply to the apartment industry?" And he gave, or someone in the room gave a great example. They said, you know what you do is you take four or five of your residents who live there, who love your property, and you have a clubhouse discussion and let them talk about the property and how much they love this activity, or they love their neighbor, or they love the location, or they love the neighborhood, or whatever it is. Boom, you've got social social audio. And, and
0: it's amazing, though. I think this is another thing you put in your notes to that point, or I think it's germane to that point, is the sort of those micro influencers or even macro influencers right where you have if you invited the right five people to have that conversation on clubhouse you know that the people in their sphere of influence you know six degrees removed seven degrees removed is a lot of people yeah it's a lot of people that you could end up attracting to the apartment community
1: yeah i mean the influencer thing has really kind of taken off it was featured last fall at aim Um, my friend, Sydney Weber, who's at NOC, who used to be in property management in Portland, shes I, I like to call her the mother of, of influencer marketing because she's the one that really promoted this one woman who was this super hot apartment resident, trendy girl who had all these followers. And, and Sydney gave her a lease and said, look, if you promote us, you know, x number of times, x weeks, x months, whatever, um, you're gonna you're gonna make our property stand out. And a lot of people have copied that. So like Erica, and one of the other speakers were talking about influencer marketing, and they said something like 75% of the marketers who used it are going to increase their budget for influencer marketing for the coming year. So once again, it's something that's coming rather than going when it comes to marketing trends.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it just came to mind, Sydney actually has a podcast called uh, Renter's Obsessed, I think. Renter's Obsessed.
1: It yeah. It's every Thursday, I think, at three o'clock and then you can watch archives of it or listen. Yeah. And
0: I think she she actually had uh, Delaney Duke on uh, the last episode yes. or the was before last.
1: <laughs> she, Sydney was there. And she was the official, the official podcast of the Social Media Summit, which was really cool. She's, she's a real go-getter, and she got that all set up herself. And I, I had lunch with her, and she's like, I have 17 interviews set up in these three days. <laughs> it's so, so awesome. Renner Obsessed is stacked right now. I mean, she could run a couple per day if she wanted to. I mean, and she likes to be trendy, too. So I would think that she's going to want to get them out there soon. And we'll see her at AIM. Oh, definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I can't wait. Uh, you know, all these people I've, I've, uh, so there are a lot of people that are entering into the podcast space in, in the multifamily, um, space and and all of them have sort of this different angle on, uh, you know, something that serves the space. Mike Wobbler has a really cool uh, podcast. Uh, Cindy has a cool podcast and there are several others, but I, I'm loving it. I'm loving all this content that is coming out and it's, and they're polished and professional. I mean, I've been, I've been doing this podcast for a long time and, and I've never, I've never done it as a polished presentation because I have a day job and, and it's, this is well, really, you want, a, the,
1: you want the authenticity, right?
0: Yeah, that, that's right. And it's a labor of love more than it is trying to, to do anything else. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm loving all the, the youth in the space and bringing all this incredible content to the, to the market. I think we, We learn together when people are sharing like they are
1: you know i'll ask you because of everybody doing this i mean what is the ideal length for a podcast i kind of wonder i mean if it's compelling copy if it's compelling audio then i guess it could last forever aren't those like serials or something that are really popular yeah but if you grab somebody on one topic real quick i would think that maybe a 10 minute one would be good and i think sydney said she was shooting for 15 minutes don't don't quote me on that so
0: yeah. You know, I've I've been all over the board. I, I publish daily and that daily is one to three minutes. Sometimes it's five to six minutes and that gets pretty good uptake. Um, these collective conversations go anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and the engagement is probably better on the 30 minutes than it is the hour. Although I've had some that have gone an hour that people are just really into it and, and they tend to hang on all the way to the end. Um, But I think the way I, this is not my novel thought. Somebody described it to me like this. The perfect length of a podcast is about the perfect commute, right? So if your commute is roughly, (laughs) it depends on what city you're in, right? Yeah. (laughs) But a half hour to 35 minutes is what I've been told. um, And they liken it to a a good commute. Yeah. But But I think when the, you know, as the space gets more and more crowded, I mean, I have I don't know, 15 podcasts that I queue up every morning and I probably make it through three or four of them before I get wow. to, okay. to the office.
1: So you're not uh, watching CNBC every morning like I am?
0: <laughs> no, I'm listening. I, I read the Wall Street Journal and then I listen to it. Believe it or not, I get like double entry.
1: <laughs> well, here's another topic that I've been dying to get your thoughts on and really anybody out there. And that is, what is it like for a management person to go to a conference where there's a trade show how do you do business with these people? Do you set up appointments ahead of time? Do you like to just sort of play it by ear? Do you eventually meet companies that you had no idea what they were, and then you run into them and try to set something up? Um, I was just talking to a woman about this today for the AIM conference, and she was talking about the strategy of of, of vendor relations. Um, you know, I'd love to get your take on that. You, you know, I,
0: I'm sure my take is not novel, but. Every single conference that I've ever been to without fail, I have never, ever stepped foot in the trade show ever. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's part and parcel because I have an introverted personality and I'm on the spectrum and to step into an environment like that would be completely overwhelming for me. It would blow my mind and I wouldn't be able to pay attention, much less have a conversation with anybody in that, in that environment. Okay. So that's, that's one guy's, you know, opinion and experience. To, I think to answer your question from my perspective in my personality, I, I don't like that my email inbox gets blown up and it does just nonstop. Yeah. Anytime you sign up for a conference, you're just, you're, yeah. you're sort of setting yourself up, but. Um, you just look for the
1: ones that have party invitations, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. How big is your party and what time is it? <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, I, I always go back to this story. Mike Wheeling at 30 Lines. Yep who have a great deal of respect for. He's just, uh, he's an incredible guy. He asks great questions. He always ha- he always has great responses to your questions, but, um, Reader's Digest version of the story back in, let's say it was, she was probably 2007, eight, nine plus or minus. Um, I was on Twitter and this guy, Mike Whaling shows up and he's just starts engaging with me and asking me questions. And it was just low volume, you know, interesting things, both personal and professional and so on and so forth. And then let's say it's like, let's say it's like six months removed from the time that Mike and I developed this relationship on Twitter. Do I find out that Mike is actually in the website building business, right? He didn't pitch that to me. He never called me up and said, Hey, I built none of that, right? I just developed this relationship, what I'd consider to be a friendship. And over that course of time, when it was time for me to build a website I just instantly thought of Mike because now he's my friend, right? Yeah. And so does. I I appreciate that kind of strategy more so than the person that's trying to hard sell you, or you know, they send you an invitation with their calendar link, or I I, I just don't
1: Well, it's funny you I, say I, that because as a reporter, I have to talk to people and I love it and I have to reach out to people. And during the during COVID, when there were no conferences, you know I met a lot of people on LinkedIn, just from tech just from just starting from from nowhere. and then right. now, when you go out to conferences, you actually get to meet these people and yeah. you get to talk to them and give them a hug or whatever. I mean it's been awesome
0: uh, I, and I, I love that so going back to the, like who I am as a person, if I've already broken down those barriers through the avenue that you just described, when I get to a conference. I naturally migrate to those people that I feel like I already know, even if I've never met them in person. Exactly. They do feel like friends. Yeah. It's a thrill. It's a thrill. Oh, so many. I I ended up meeting Mike in person. I met Kate Good in person. Lisa Trezine is I, I am a super fan of Lisa Trezine and uh met her in Las Vegas a long, 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 long time ago. But I'll tell you a funny story about Lisa Trezine. I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this. But one <laughs> night we're on Twitter, a big group of us were having a conversation and uh I don't I don't know how it came to be, but I Said something about having a conversation with her over the telephone, and literally, literally two seconds later, my phone rings, and it's a Chicago number. I know she lives in Chicago. I pick up the phone, and it's Lisa Trozine, and she said, "How you doing?" <laughs> it just blew me away that someone like that, who I I still to this day admire, and just had the time and the wherewithal to pick up the phone and call me uh, to have a conversation.
1: Good it deal. Was yeah, she was really one of the cool. first people I met back in when I first did my magazine. She was one of the first people to submit an article to me. So I mean, we've been tight ever since. That's oh, great. It's great.
0: So, she's so I what I love about Lisa is she's so well researched. She does her homework. And when she comes to the table with something, you you know it's steeped in good Good solid research. Yeah, I mean
1: not to plug the social media summit again, but she's the one that she was one of several people to tell me I really had to go. And I said, Well, why? She says, Because this is the one conference where I come back and my notebook is stuffed. <laughs> I've got so many notes.
0: I, I I, well, based on your notes, I, I believe that to be I believe yeah, that. What to else do you.
1: I have on there? Is there anything else I wrote down that you wanted to?
0: Yeah. So I I'm interested in the staffing models, centralized leasing, rethinking the role of leasing, okay. rethinking the role of maintenance. Those are interesting topics.
1: Okay. So centralized leasing is this concept that kind of got into the conversation thread a couple of years ago. People used to ask me about it all the time. I never really knew what it was or how it worked, and I thought it was just some cool phrase that sounded efficient. And then sure enough, some software companies out there have started to develop platforms that enable these communities to do it, you, you probably know what it is. I mean, it's when you have your leasing team all together that you're serving. It's only for big companies, by the way, you, if you only have two properties, it's not going to work. Sure. If you've got four or five properties in Dallas and, and somebody calls one of them and it's not a perfect fit, maybe the, the, the unit, the floor plan doesn't fit or whatever, you can cross sell to another property uh, down the street, across town, whatever. Uh, so it makes it more efficient that way. And these platforms are also being led by bots and bots have been coming up big time in all these conferences and conversations. Um, I was on a webinar yesterday with apartments.com and they had a woman from Kettler and a woman from uh, Wealth what is Western Wealth Communities. Right, and, Jennifer. You know they're talking about you know we got the bots on our website and our, our team doesn't have to deal with a lot of these questions because they're pre-programmed and all this good stuff. So it's a, it's a model of efficiency. So that's what centralized leasing office is. Um, so I I wrote a few stories about that. You'd see you'd see them on my LinkedIn page Thought Leadership Today, which is my platform for most of my content. Uh, just look up my name under under LinkedIn. Um, I was talking to a woman about hiring and training challenges and staffing models. So do you know Dom Beveridge of 20 for 20? He used to work for uh, with Donald Davidoff.
0: Yeah, I well, love Dom. Adam, he's been here on the podcast a couple of times. He's yeah, awesome. Yeah, So
1: he did this great paper. He does it every year and it just came out, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. One of his chapters is on, on leasing models. So I grabbed that. And I wrote a story just about that portion of it. And I reached out to a few uh, property management people. And I spoke to this woman at Tricap Residential. I think her name was Eberbach. And I can't think of her first name. Um, and she was telling me that they were they were changing their staffing model with maintenance. And I'm like, okay. What she did was she created a position in the maintenance team where that person's sole job or primary job is to do all the admin stuff, to, to set up the turn schedule, to set up the supply delivery, to do everything that basically is not, you know, a hammer and a nail and a screwdriver. Let the maintenance techs do that. Don't put that burden on them because they've got enough to do anyway. And you want them, you want them enjoying their job. You don't want to give them tasks that are going to be like, I don't want to do this, I'm leaving. So to me it was ingenious. To me, that's the way you should structure your maintenance department if you can find someone to do the admin and the budgeting and all that crap, and then let these guys go knock on doors and fix apartments.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I've seen several interesting models that are sort of evolving and the central theme of all the models is this sort of idea of a pointy set of responsibilities. Uh, or being, if you're a subject matter expert at HVAC, you only do HVAC. If you're a subject matter expert at plumbing or electricity or admin work or whatever it is, you go do that because you're really good at that. And you, to your point, I think to your overarching point is you're you're getting people in their in their strike zone, right? And they're, they they don't have the burden of thinking about all these other things that have to get done that they don't really like and don't really care about. It's human nature. That that's right,
1: that's right. Um, yeah. Um, so that that is what I had on my take on staffing models. Um, you know, another thing interesting that the woman from TriCap was talking about was onboarding, and I know there've been a lot of surveys out there about onboarding being a big pain in the butt, and surveys show that employees. Some of them are leaving the day to get hired because they're treated so not professionally and, and things are kind of chaotic when they first start or, you know, they don't have the proper handholding to get going. Well, she had her own model for onboarding. I mean, it's like a two-week process and she doesn't have the new hires doing face-to-face things with residents or customers until they really feel comfortable and all that. So it was really a, a good approach to onboarding. If you're not paying attention to onboarding right now, you're gonna your hiring challenges are gonna get worse. They're not gonna get better.
0: And, I'll tell you. I I'll plug a, a company that we partner with called Swift Bunny. Jim Picotti and her team. I, mm-hmm. I, they they have an amazing instrument that gives you insight into your team members and the way that they feel their team member experience. Right. And and one of the things I I was shocked to learn that our company has a mediocre onboarding sort of process. And it, it's not because we don't have one. And it's not because it's it's not a good one. But in the era of COVID, all these things that have happened, we we stopped paying attention to it. And and we recently onboarded a few new team members and it it was just terrible. It was a terrible experience for them. And we did have one that ended up leaving and it was because of the experience that they had at onboarding and it was it was heartbreaking, but Swift Bunny allowed us to see that almost immediately. I mean, we saw it that this person left, and they were right. candid enough to tell us why. But Swift Bunny gave us real, super insight into that. I want to go back for one second because it just came to mind for me in in reimagining the staffing models in the administrative side of our business, meaning the leasing office. traditionally, you have property manager, assistant manager, leasing consultant. Now, 10 or 15 years ago, it's probably a better part of 15 years ago, Equity Residential and some of the bigger REITs started to centralize the assistant manager's role and responsibility and started to do away with that that title, so to speak. And it's sort of caught in a wave, caught a new wave, and, and a lot of other companies are doing that today. And the big question comes up, what is the career path for somebody that's a leasing consultant today and that are desire is potentially be a property manager tomorrow, or they just want to grow. So what is the career path now that the assistant manager's position is gone? Was there
1: any talk about that? Um, This kind of goes back to a lot of the things I've written for SHRM, which is the Society of Human Resource Management, um, because they talk about the importance of creating career paths for any employee, for any industry, and the apartment industry is no different. And what I hear people say is you will have people, like you and I said a couple minutes ago, who really like to do a certain thing. They like where they are. They like to stay in their lane and they're happy with that. But then there's other people who want to grow and who want to expand. So you really have to identify who those people are before you say, hey, you're doing great at leasing. I want you to be a property manager. Well, maybe they don't want to be a property manager. Right, so the solution That is out there now that a lot of companies are doing is something called a stay interview. Have you ever heard of that? A stay interview? Okay, so you have exit interviews, right? We've probably all been through those in our lives. They're kind of stupid because you basically don't burn bridges and you just shake their hand and walk out. Well, a stay (laughs) interview takes place maybe on a monthly basis, maybe a quarterly, whatever's comfortable, where the supervisors and the team members talk about how's it going? What are you learning? What are you having trouble with? And it blows me away because I've been a supervisor and I've been on the other side of that. When you have those meetings, you all, I mean, nine times out of 10, you walk out of them feeling so much better because you got things off your chest.
0: You That's got right. a better
1: understanding with your supervisor. You understand your strengths and weaknesses better. They they're, they got your back and all that kind of good stuff. And yet companies don't do them because they say, well, I don't have time for that. Well, guess what? You, if you start doing stay interviews, you're not going to have to be hiring people who are leaving because... You figure it out if they want a career path or not. You figure out what their weakness is or their strength is. You reassign them to another department if you learn something about them that way. To me, that's that's the way to tackle that.
0: I, yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. I think if you're not doing it through a stay interview, you're doing it through some sort of one-to-one cadence where you're meeting with the team member on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly yeah. basis or something of that nature. I, you know, I have this... I have this I'm going to call it a thesis for now because I've not really thought through it. I've just started doing some research as it relates to this, but I think and it's because we're grappling with it internally at RACO. We've eliminated the assistant manager's position. We've centralized that activity. We intend to automate it completely, or at least the rote and routine pieces of it. Um, and then leasing is next, but the, the the working thesis in terms of a career path is going back to the metaverse, going back to AR and VR if you If you can uh, teach somebody through simulation, right, so you put on the V R goggles, yeah, and you sort of simulate what it is like to be a property manager or say let's call it leadership, right you can simulate leadership scenarios and you can give people enough reps through the goggles to get them to a point where it becomes sort of muscle memory on how to respond and react to circumstances to think critically, to do problem solution and things of that nature. You can get somebody moving up the ladder, so to speak, without actually having done any of the physical work because you're doing it in this VR space or this metaverse space.
1: Well, you've reminded me of something. So in that story, there is one apartment example. If you know Lincoln Property, they're doing that with their maintenance team. Right. And they're doing right. that exact thing. It's like, you want to learn how to fix an HVAC? Well, here, put these goggles on. Um, exactly. Um, by the way, if, if anybody watching this, I'm referencing stories that I've written, just ping me on LinkedIn and I'll send you these stories if you want to learn more about any of the things I'm talking about. But a- anyway, yeah, I talked to uh, Marget Hefner at Lincoln and her maintenance guys are doing that. Um, you know, there's pros and cons to it, um, to be honest. Like people say you can't be on those goggles for more than like, I think maybe 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, because then you get a little too disoriented. So you have to be careful about the way you approach it, but you're right. Think about all the time you're saving with AR and VR and training your employees because you don't have to fly everybody into Atlanta to take the class. You know, they could be in Utah, they could be in in Connecticut, whatever, and they can still participate in these things.
0: That's exactly right. And I think the the vertigo that you get from the goggles, if you wear relief band, it's kind of like when you go on a cruise, if you just take some Dramamine, you can... (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's the solution I I uh it just came to mind as you were saying that and yeah I think I think it's that you know even the even the technician that doesn't have uh complete confidence to work on an HVAC uh, piece of equipment they have training they have certification but those goggles real time right those glasses if you're standing over the machine and you need to know what a transistor is or you need to know how to do uh freon reclaim Reclamation, right? You could actually learn that while you're doing it. So the work is the job, and the job is the work, right? You can do it. Or the learning is the work and the work is the learning. Well,
1: it's funny that we're talking about HVAC, and I'll I'll throw you on the spot again because I just started this article today. I mean, guess what? It's April 1. I mean, energy prices are through the roof. The refrigerant situation in HVACs is always a mess. I mean, I don't I don't care what you do, it's a mess. And You've got h you got air conditioning season coming up for a lot of these parts of the country. So I've been trying to reach out to companies and asking them, "Well, what are you doing? Are you are you how are you handling this? Are you are you doing anything different with this?" Um, and I've got a few feelers out for this story, and hopefully it'll be written in two weeks. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a fascinating topic. Um, Paul Rhodes, you might know, he used to be a trainer at NAA. Now he works uh, down in Atlanta. Um, he told me that the one thing he's noticed so far is there's been a lot more use of contractors, like you said. So it might not be an employee. It might be a contractor to get a lot of this stuff done. There's an uptick in that. And I can't even, those contractors, they can charge whatever they want, right? I mean, (laughs) this is the time for it. If your AC doesn't work, you're in trouble. Oh, it, yeah, it,
0: it's non-negotiable, right?
1: (laughs) He's, fis down <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. hey I, i'm gonna I'm gonna refer you to someone and um, his last name escapes me right now but his first name is Matthew and he works for a company called modally and this this might be a segue to an interesting topic um, would love to hear your opinion about um, IOt sensors uh, for leak detection and other things but I think there's an interesting thing in, in Matthews company modally is doing some super interesting work okay. in the space so If you can imagine uh, sensors um, built into a piece of HVAC equipment, so say it's the condensing unit that sits outside of the apartment building or on the roof or wherever they locate that thing, but the sensors in there actually detect when that particular uh, condensing unit is drawing more amperage than it should, or it's laboring more than it should, and (laughs) it automatically notifies a technician that something's going wrong with the mechanics, right? So the the resident is never involved. The resident is never inconvenienced because the actual mechanic or the the condensing unit is calling the mechanic to come and work on it, right? And his company has built these sensors into the HVAC equipment that is being put out. And and then they have an interesting labor model. You, You would probably love to hear about this. The labor model is such that it's kind of the Uber of labor as it relates to HVAC equipment, right? So all these people, all these HVAC laborers are curated into this big pool of HVAC workers, right? And the the machine says, hey, I got a problem. And all these mechanics are rated and reviewed. And so the top person is always the first person that gets called by the machine, right? To come do the labor on the machine. And then, if he's not available, the next person is there who is the most highly rated, and so on and so forth. They've curated this entire thing end to end. Super fascinating, in my opinion.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, send me a link on that. I'll follow up.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll send you his name and their company. And he he's such a nice guy. I met him. Uh, I met him. Uh, best places to work, multifamily. Patrick Antrim's uh, event that he put on a couple of years ago. So I'll, I'll send you mm-hmm. words. Yeah. But I think the point to that is, or maybe the punchline is that I think a lot of that work might get uh, farmed out, but it's going to be farmed out to a company like Modaly, who's curated all of the HVAC workers in the country.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing that too. There's like staffing agencies out there that will staff your apartment community, uh, you know, if you're in a pinch um, or if you need somebody for temporary, um, which to me, I, it's it's almost like, wow, why didn't we have this already, <laughs> you know? Um, I, I think you're right. I, th- I think there've been versions of it out there, but nobody's really sort of
0: cracked the egg and or, or put together the perfect scenario yet. It's yeah. coming.
1: We've trained everybody. We've got, you just name what you need and we'll send them right out, you know, like a temp agency. Um, I don't know that that would work for something like maintenance, but I don't know if it would work for leasing because you really have to have that intimacy with your community and your intimacy with people who walk through the door. You can't just you know, pony up and do that um, effectively. Um, Although with everybody 97% occupied, it's not that hard, right? I was talking to this woman today who works at Zumper and she's in the editorial team and she was talking about moving to San Francisco. She'd been moving around the country everywhere and she found this apartment that she really thought was cool on a listing. So she showed up in San Francisco for it and it was... She called it a half a studio. It was so small. (laughs) And she, she went there and she's like, you know, it's just not big enough. So they said, well, we've got a slightly bigger one upstairs in this building. Do you want to check that out? What's your price point? She gave her the price point. She said, you can have it at that price point. She said, they said, we're going to, we're going to, we were going to do about, you know, 20% of, Cost to to do some renovations in there, but she's like, I'll just take it as it is right now. If you give me a twenty percent discount, and she moved in. So I mean, that's that's what leasing <laughs> is right now, right? I mean, you don't even have to. That's what that's how hot the market is, don't you think?
0: I so look, I'm I'm nearing thirty years in the business, and I was telling somebody the other, it was at that COO, uh, the Marcus and Chip Conference. I've never. In the 30 years I've been in this business, seen a market like this. It, it's it's unbelievable. It it sort of screams of something's about to happen.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, two months ago, I wrote a story about the fact that all the people that got these great rent rates from concessions a year ago were going to all be up for renewal. Mm-hmm. Don't panic because you would think, you know, you're paying eighteen hundred. Well, now you're paying twenty six hundred. They're all going to they're all going to leave. Well, guess what? They, there's nowhere to go because it's market no. rate rent. It's going to be 26 down the block too. Why do you want to move?
0: It, and you can't even move to a house because you know this <laughs> built built for rent or you know sort of people buying up whole communities. You, you can't.
1: It's yeah, that's uh, that's a big deal. We there's got to be a yeah. conference for that pretty soon. I'm sure there is. But uh, yeah, oh yeah,
0: I'm sure uh, Steve Lefkowitz is dreaming up a conference for that. <laughs>
1: for that. Well, he had the one on flexible living that That's right. ended up getting canceled at the last minute that I was actually assigned to go report on. I was kind of bummed. Um but yeah, it is it is definitely a market for those types of things. Um oh so no. No doubt Maybe yet. I need to maybe I need to create a magazine for it. <laughs> it's not going away. It's here to stay. So <laughs>
0: right. you would have readers.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Right out of the box. Well, I um listen we're coming up on an hour and i could probably go another two or three hours doing this talking to you um but i i want to give you an opportunity just to sort of you know pitch where you're at pitch your platforms uh, you know where can people reach you uh, anything interesting that you're working on aside from web3 or the metaverse and uh in uh you know where we can uh, connect with you
1: yeah okay so it's thought leadership today it's on linkedin look my name up i've mentioned that a few times um most of my stories get posted there but not all i write for globe street so if you are into commercial real estate um check that out and don't be intimidated because when you go there for the first time and click on a story it makes it look like you need to sign up and you do need to sign up but it doesn't cost anything all you have to do is put in your name and email address and you're going to get all my stories and everybody else's about every facet of commercial real estate um If you wanna hire me to do anything, I've been blogging and writing for many, many of the vendors out there. Some of it, you'll see my name on it, some of it you won't. But if you're an industry supplier out there and you want your story told by me through your clients rather than through your sales team, um, I always think that quoting clients and having them tell the story is the best way to go about it. So I can help you with that. Um, If you are speaking at a conference and you're a vendor or whoever you are. Chances are, I'll be there. If you want me to write a recap of your session so that you can use it on your own social media, I do a lot of that. Um, I will be at AIM. I will be at TAA for the first time. Uh, I will be at the ULI conference in San Diego. And of course, I'll be at uh, Apartmentalize, which is in June in San Diego. So if anyone out there needs any help with anything, Geez, another one of my clients is Demuso. I'm working on something for them. If you know anything about payment, um, I've done, I've done some things with, uh, with Resmin, with Nock, with Appfolio, with, uh, God, I could go on and on, Lee Um Anybody out there need any help with, with editorial, please uh, reach out to me
0: yeah i I will tell you i I would endorse paul all day long. I've been reading things all the way back to the the early innings of the n a a publication after it became a business publication so <laughs> I, uh, i'm i'm always uh i've always admired your work and I mean that i've never it was interesting to me I reached out to you the other day just uh because i saw i think uh, you've been interviewed uh, you'd been interviewed recently for oh, oh, Paul Marx's multifamily paul Matters? Marx. Yeah, Multifamily Matters. You've been interviewed and I thought, oh, I'm just going to reach out to him and <laughs> see if he would be interested in coming on the
1: podcast. So, Oh, I, I love the talk shop anytime. Definitely. So
0: I'd endorse Paul. We're going to link up all of his information in our show notes so that anybody wants to reach out to him, definitely do that. Uh, Paul, this has been wonderful. Thank you very much for taking the time to do it.
1: Yeah. Happy Friday to everyone. And uh, we'll see you on the conference choral. Right.
0: That's right. Take care, everyone. We will see you next time on A Collective Conversation. Bye now.